Broadcasting from the Ramada Inn in East Tampa. This is the Camp Church Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 41, Believing in the Non-Physical. So bearing precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom. He runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow. Welcome, everybody, to the Camper Truth Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, flfnetwork.com, or crosspolitik.com. And this is episode 41, and I am broadcasting from the Ramada Inn in Tampa, Florida. I um, left California last uh, Monday, ran across the United States, spent a few days in Ohio, then I dropped down to uh, North Carolina, and now I am in Florida where I'm going to be preaching in Coral Springs, I believe, uh, this Sunday. So if you're within a 100-mile radius of Coral Springs, Florida, please come out to, uh, I think it's Covenant Evangelical Church in Coral Springs, which is the hometown of Tom Askell, who uh, has fallen ill to some extent. I haven't seen an update in 24 hours, so I'm not sure his current status. So if you think of praying for him, he is a uh, pastor of a church there, as well as... Uh, most people kind of know him through Founders Ministry, which is kind of a Reformed Baptist uh, ministry within the Southern Baptist Convention. So if you think of praying for him, uh, please do. And I will, yeah, so I'll be here in Florida for at least a week, and then Alabama for Christmas uh, with some family. And then I'll probably actually be east for, was it the G3 conference in January, and kind of run around here for a little bit. So that's kind of the game plan. And uh, it kind of stinks for the last week. Uh, you know, I'm at a, I, I probably technically could have preached last week, um, but my car accident and getting a new car and having to get a handful of things situated, uh, I did not preach last week, but it, kind of raced across the United States to get back to Ohio, and um, I kind of miss it. There is, uh, I've met with a, a pastor friend of mine this morning in Asheville, North Carolina, and it was kind of funny to sh- swap war stories. He is a uh, local, or like local, um, what's the right word, like, I guess like you know, pastoring in a church, and he, he's, uh, as he was describing it to me, he's kind of, he kind of suggested, he's like, what, what is a prison movie where you get shanked by friends and so so that doesn't doesn't make uh church ministry sound that much fun at times uh so having a little bit of a go at it and then uh, had uh, dinner with a good buddy of mine from seminary as well so it's good to see 20 years on some men uh still not quite 20 years 15 years later seeing some men still serve jesus and love jesus um because we've seen quite a few peel off and even a couple suicides and stuff like that so it's been kind of um a strange run post-seminary um but yeah i've missed being out on campus and, uh, and sharing some stories made me think over the last few weeks um of some of the things that happened and probably one of the sweetest uh, uh kind of interactions I had was with a young man. I was at uh, preaching up in the Northwest and finished up my day. And during that day, we probably spent 15, 20 minutes uh, talking about fatherlessness, you know, because every day when I'm preaching, uh, social issues are coming up. And one of the things we were discussing that day was fatherlessness. And uh, while I was preaching, a, a guy got all huffy-puffy with me regarding, uh, are, am I disrespecting his single mother because his dad was in prison? And, you know, I tried to appeal to him, no, absolutely not. I'm not disrespecting you or your mother. Um, the reality of it is your dad being in prison is not the way it should have been. Uh, your dad should have been there with your mother, supporting your mother and supporting you, raising you. And uh, he handled it pretty well uh, after the initial push, after misunderstanding what I was saying. And then that's one of the things people respond emotionally so often to issues that I think we, especially as open-air preachers, um, need to be very patient uh, and 
spending more time explaining what it is that we're saying because, you know, I've done it enough that I I'm, I'm I am sitting there oftentimes being like, how did you even come close to hearing that? But nonetheless. Uh, you've seen it enough that you realize this is the pattern of people's thinking. So uh, you're always better off erring on the side of grace and patience, uh, especially with the unbeliever um, in those situations. And then I finish up my day, I go into the restroom, and I come out of the uh, student union. There's a man waiting for a young man uh, waiting for me, and he begins to tell me his background. And he says that you know the, the part where you talked about fatherlessness that really uh, meant a lot to me because I grew up uh, essentially without a dad. My dad was off getting a PhD. I was growing up in Iran. Then we came to the United States, and he kind of lays out his whole story. And, and kind of the uh, sweet, humbling thing was he said, well, how do I get my masculinity back? Um, he was like, I was, I was raised basically without a father, with a strong mother, how do I get my masculinity back? And obviously in that context, you know, uh, I don't know how much I can say or do. It's not like it's a magic formula. Um, but I just try to encourage him to get some men, go to church, get some men in his life, as well as a, a few other things. Um, and, and even going back, talking to his father and trying to, you know, the best he can reconcile with his father and asking his father things and stuff like that. And the kid was very humble. Uh, but it, you just, one of the mixed bags with what I get to do, I don't get to have that conversation with that kid unless I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't get to follow up with that kid by doing what I'm doing. And so you kind of hope and pray that there are uh, churches in his area and men who can follow up. And uh, that's one of the mixed bags because that was the day after um, the one young man coming up to me, uh, which I believe I played a dialogue guy named Noah last week um, who became a believer. He's like, you know, hearing you preach, it was the first time I ever heard the gospel. And now he's plugged in with a group and he's growing and maturing. And so it, it just... It is a strange thing. One sows, one water, but God gives the increase. And so anyway, the point being is I miss um, uh, preaching on campus. And I look forward to getting back out there, and I look forward to preaching in a pulpit this weekend. Just the, the prep and study <coughs> excuse me, is a different ball game than uh, going out on campus. And so I look forward to uh, mixing it up. And uh, what, what we're going to do on today's episode is um, there's it's kind of an older discussion. I think it's a discussion I had with a guy back in October, early October, maybe late September. And the discussion... Uh, he actually, I actually don't answer his question. He starts off asking me, how do I know that Yahweh is a true God? And what I'm seeking to do more often than not, especially if someone is a secularist, is trying to get them to move from believing in the merely the visible realm and moving to an, an invisible realm. So like in Colossians 1, when Jesus says he created all things visible and invisible. And the reality of it is every single individual that you are interacting with believes in a visible realm and an invisible realm. And now in our culture, we have a tendency to have been reductionistic into thinking we only believe in the physical realm. I can only believe those things, but I can see, taste, touch, and feel. So that's the, the, in very broad terms, that's where people are coming from. And so when we begin to discuss God, people want to say, there's no evidence for God. What they mean by that is, is nothing physical uh, that they believe points us in the direction of God. And even if I had a physical object that I could say, say, here's God. So even for the 2,000 years ago, when we they could touch Jesus um, in and of itself just by observing that physical body. They want to be like, oh, yeah, this is God in the flesh. There, there has to be other contexts and other things going on to understand uh, that any empirical observation would be the eternal God, and no sense impression would ever give you the idea that he's the eternal God. So one of the things we want to do with people is at, at the – and you can be patient in your evangelism. I'm, I'm not always um, – playing the long game, you know what I mean? I think there is an urgency of calling people to repent and believe, and so I don't think pre-evangelism is as necessary as we often think it is, that you have to spend, you know, six months trying to lay the groundwork before you really get to the gospel with somebody. Um, but, yeah, we can share and preach the gospel. But sometimes in our apologetic, in our discussion, we want to move somebody from 
uh, I get them getting them to realize that there is an invisible realm. So here's a young man who comes up to me, asks me about um, how do I know that Yahweh is a true God? And as I've listened to this discussion, I'm like, ah, I never really answered this question. Um, because the reason I believe that Yahweh is a true God, I, you know, I think I've mentioned on this program before, I'm very sympathetic to basic presuppositional apologetics. But I don't believe that Van Til's argument is a silver bullet. Um, and, and since I'm not persuaded of that, I don't... N- I, and while I still believe Christianity is true, and I think it's evident to everybody because of Romans 1 and <clears throat> other things, um, I don't think I um, ha- have an uh, absolute silver bullet that everybody must bow down to if I uh, just quote this, you know, say this magic formula, everybody just admit that it's true and uh, become Christians. Um, so what I'm seeking to do in this conversation with this guy is move him from believing that there's only the physical realm, uh, that there's a non-material realm. And fortunately, he gets there. And, and if you listen to the Bonson-Stein debate, which is kind of the classic presuppositional um, demonstration, I suppose, um, and what you realize is Bonson actually never demonstrates anything um, as far as the truth of Christianity or the impossible of the contrary. He never demonstrated it. But that's neither here nor there. The, the part that I, I do think is very helpful in that discussion is how Bonson even shows the need um, for an invisible realm, which is he, he ends up appealing to the laws of logic and reason as being essentially eternal, non-conventional, and stuff like that. So it's a pretty standard um, presuppositional approach. And so anyway, you, you'll hear a little bit of that in this dialogue. And uh, basically what I'm trying to get the guy to do is admit that there is something beyond the physical realm. And he ends up saying, I see what you're saying here. How do I know that Yahweh is a true God? I would say this, first of all, I would say theism is necessarily true. Theism, I'm, I'm talking more broadly that theism is necessarily true. From this standpoint, there are certain things that are necessarily true. Uh, logic itself is necessarily true in all universes. You can't deny it without using it. And so I would argue that logic is not the things of matter, but it's the things of mind. The reason you're lo- that I doubt you think that tree is logical. Hopefully you don't. But you're logical and reasonable, and to what extent or another, everybody out here is logical and reasonable. Here's the thing, like I'm a I'm a physics major. Uh huh. Oh, hey. Sorry. I'm good. How are yeah, you? Sorry. Uh, she was in my class. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. yeah. So, see you. We're gonna have to hang out sometime, all right? All right. But um, I mean, I'm a physics major. I'm a math major. Uh huh. Like, when you say like logic and that kind of stuff, that's that's my daily language. Uh huh. So when you say that tree. I look at that tree and I say, look at those tiny cells, the way they formed, the way they split up. The way that it formed is entirely logical and it's adhered to the environment that it's put in. Well, yeah, I would say it's two different things. Uh, the idea that it, I would just say it does what it does by nature. Like you said, it, uh, it, I don't remember your exact word, but it, by the environment it's put in. Yeah, it adheres to the environment it's placed in. Yeah, so it adheres. So it's not thinking of whether or not it wants to adhere to the environment that it fits in. It just does what its nature has it do. Yeah, and so you, on the other hand, you can look at that, and some people might look at that tree and say, "Uh, I mean, the world's full of chaos and no order and blah, 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 blah. There is no nature to anything, and nature's chaotic, and there's no reason to think about it. But I would just say the very nature of you looking at that and concluding that it, you know, it's logical because it coheres to the nature that's put into would point us back to, I think, you're the one, and I think, I'm not saying it's not true, but you're the one who's understanding the world to be logical and orderly. And so if I say that tree is not orderly, it does not cohere to the environment it's in, you would say that it does. And so we'd be making mutually exclusive claims about the nature of that tree and what's going on. Now, I would agree with you that it does cohere to the, uh, to the nature that it's in. And I think that you and I have been put into a nature that ought to be logical and reasonable. We ought to be, but we, unlike that tree, we don't always cohere with our nature. 
we don't always cohere with our nature. So you can have some people in your class, and even within the context of physics, you guys can disagree with one another over uh, what physical theory is true, what physics theory is true. Yeah, but ultimately it's decided by nature. I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm thinking there's a real world outside of us that presses down upon us, all right? And, and we discover it. And so we don't invent numbers, we don't uh, invent, we might give the formula that gives us gravity, but we didn't invent gravity. Gravity was there long before we were doing anything with it. We're the ones who help order it and study it and say, here's what's going to happen every time we drop a ball off the roof because of A, B, C, D, F, G. So we try to create, try to recognize patterns that are... Correct. Yeah. And so I agree with you that nature itself is even orderly and logical. Sure. So I, I agree with you that. But I would venture to say that if... All the universe was, was a completely contingent event 14 billion years ago. That there was a giant bang without any reason behind it, but at bottom, clear, completely contingent, irrational, just, it just happened event. Uh, a brute fact. I would say there's no reason to believe that nature ought to be reasonable and logical. But the reason that we think it's, we, our operating assumption that nature is reasonable and logical, because we're reasonable logical beings. And so if I make a contradictory statement to yours, you might, we might be able to disagree with it, but we both can't be right. We both can't be right. So going back to the nature of reality, I would say this. Logic is an inescapable part of thinking. We don't invent, we don't, so sometimes I will hear on a college campus, my thinking's too binary. Well, you know, no. I'm thinking way too much like a Westerner rather than an Easterner. And so they're telling me I'm thinking too binary. Well, isn't that a binary itself? Eastern, Western thought is binary. So I think there are things that are mutually exclusive for one another that's inherent to all thought. I would agree that there are certain elements that are of, think of thinking that are logical. Mm -hmm. But the mind, I mean, I don't know if you believe in evolution or not, um, but for me, like, um, I look at the mind and I see a cross section. I mean, that the most primal part of the mind is close to the nervous center, that's kind of the idea. It's very emotional. It's not necessarily logic based. Mm -hmm. It's all about rec trying to recognize patterns in certain situations, which is why you have something where you smell peanut butter and you immediately think of like your grandma's house or something. Mm -hmm. That thinking is not necessarily a logical process. All it is just a reactionary idea. It's just a pathway. But it's not an irrational process, I would say. The idea of, of, of having a strong correspondence between experiences in grandma's house or every time you go to touch a hot stove, you know what I mean? If, if you go to touch a fire, it's not unreasonable that you got burned the first time. Next time you go to do it, you, you, you expect to be burned again. That's not an unreasonable True. process. I would say that's, and I would say that's the very foundation of science. Because if, if you go to do something tomorrow that's radically, and your ball goes up rather than down tomorrow, the universe would be irrational. We wouldn't be able to order it and study it and stuff like that. So if tomorrow's not going to be like today, so I would see those patterns in our thinking as actually being reasonable. So when we make patterns between, uh, man, yeah, the smell of peanut butter reminds me of grandma's house. Well, uh, the, 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 the hot flame reminds me of getting burned. And so I would say it's part of the ordering process of the nature of reality. And, and we make those connections. I don't think if you bring a fire to the tree, the tree's going to be like, oh, no, not a fire. I saw the last tree get burned up the last time there was a fire. Uh, the trees aren't doing that. You and I are doing that. And the reason you are, are, are doing that, I believe, is that I would argue that ultimately we're image bearers of God. It's not because of 3.8 billion years of evolution. You're a reasonable being because God himself is the Logos. God himself is reason and logic. And we, his image bearers, are reasonable and logical. I'm not denying other complexities of emotions and things like that that play into who we are. So I'm not denying that. Um, but I'm saying a component of what it means to be an image of God is to be reasonable and logical. And, and so if, if all we were were physical beings, I would say logic and reason, which I would say is not physical in nature, the very laws of logic are not physical in nature, uh, there'd be no reason to believe that they hold to our thinking. If you're saying that all elements of nature and all elements, I guess, of physicality, if you will, are logical and orderly, 
In what way would you say the elements of logic itself are not orderly, or I guess not physical? Um, well, yeah, because we can't, like, if I wanted to say, uh, what's your name, by the way? My name's Hudson. What's your Hudson, name? I'm Keith. Nice to meet you. Pleasure to meet you. So, so if I want to say Hudson's wearing a waffle shirt, point Hudson, waffle shirt. Uh, now, if I want to talk about the laws of logic, or even the number two, where do I go to see, taste, touch, and feel the laws of logic? Before I preached out here, I ate some sushi down at some place down there. And if you're like, no, we don't have a sushi restaurant down there, I'd walk down there and show you the sushi restaurant. Here's the raw fish that I ate, uh, uh, and here's where we got it from. Now, if I wanted to ask you where the laws of logic and reason came from, where would you take me? Are you saying, like, where would I take you to a physical place? Yeah. Hmm, I see your point. And so I think there are plenty of things in the nature of reality that are not physical in nature. A lot of things are, not everything is. The laws of logic are not physical in nature. The number two is not physical in nature. Justice, now we might have individual expressions of justice. You can say that event is just or unjust, but justice itself cannot be seen, assuming it exists. If it doesn't exist, it's a different discussion. But we can look at it, if I just walk up, punch you, we'd say it's an unjust action. If that guy stopped me from punching, he would say it was a just action. They might look very similar because you're using physical force on somebody, but it's a concept of justice itself applied to particular situations. So I would, my point is this, is I agree there's a physical realm, like the average person studying physics and science, and I also believe it's orderly and ought to be studied in a way that should be understood and blah, blah, blah. So I'm not against science in any way, shape, or form. I'm against a method uh, of viewing the world that limits everything to naturalism, that all we can know is a natural order. So I would say things like logic, mathematics, and things like that are not part of the natural order. But I would say they're just as real. I have a class named Ted too. Yeah, good. Uh, how long are you going to stay out here? Uh, I hope to be out here to maybe like four or five. Four or five? Yeah. All right, I might be out here in like an hour. All right, sounds good. You said your name was Keith? Keith, yes, sir. Hud right. Hunter, right? Hudson. Hudson, I'm sorry. All right. Oh, God bless you, man. Have a good day. Thanks have for engaging. So that was my uh, discussion with uh, Hunter, uh, which I want to call Hudson. And uh, the, so as you can see there, if you listen uh, carefully, I actually never answered his question, how do you know that Yahweh is the true God? Um, but as I said, I was trying to m largely move him to uh, believing in an immaterial realm. And once you begin to accept that basic idea, the idea of a belief in God or a personal being, an absolute personal being back in the cosmos, um, is by no means an irrational uh, leap. Um, but ultimately, it is God that needs to... Uh, reveal himself to somebody, and I, I probably should have spent a little more time uh, making clear the gospel. But I, that was actually a day he was sitting there listening for a while, and it was a it was a slow start. The day ended up picking up, but it was a slow start to the day. And so I was kind of preaching the gospel. Then he came up, and that's when he asked his question. And one of the I was actually talking about this with dinner. One of the one of the difficulties when you begin preaching, um, there are certain times where someone who is kind uh, rather than a heckler comes up to you first, and when they are, it's kind of hard to continue to preach because you just want to, you know, answer their questions and interact with them. And that's oftentimes a split-second decision that you have to make. It, all right, am I going to kind of shut down the public preaching and just interact with this person more individually? Or, and I, I think you can maybe even hear at the very beginning uh, of the audio there where I'm a little more projecting uh, when he first comes up to me because I was kind of like, maybe we can still get a crowd. Um, and then I kind of transition to, all right, I'll... I'll, I'll keep my voice lower and interact with him and reason with him uh, sort of thing and, and kind of count that changeover as a loss. And so anyway, that, that's, that's a little bit of the rationale of some of the things that are going on there that, that you uh, may not be keen to, but just by listening to it, that's a little bit of what's going on. So anyway, that's what we're hoping to do, um, move people in certain directions, give people a reason for the hope that we have and explain um, why it is that we believe what we believe, and there's a bunch going on there. And if we begin to step back and meditate even a little bit philosophically on uh, what it is we believe um, and why we believe what we believe, I believe that we can give uh, clear, uh, reasonable answers because ultimately Jesus Christ is the Logos of God. He's the creator. He gives order to all things, and as we uh, worship him and serve him, um, 
we, that should be reflected in our thinking and in the world around us, and we should be able to press that down upon our neighbors. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Campus Church Podcast. Um, and if you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach out to me, Keith, at campuspreacher.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Campus Evangel. You can also go to um, Campus Preacher on Instagram. So may the Lord bless you. Keep you. Talk to you next week. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom He runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow Hurry, take what you've got, do with it what you can Cause the good God in heaven needs us, so we're in the land Some seed fell by the wayside, some of it fell among thorns, some of it fell upon stony ground.